Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talks Hopnam, sponsored by NordVPN. We've plenty to discuss today following Tottenham's free-free draw against Southampton and then Antonio Conte's rather explosive press conference after the game at St Mary's. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, have you recovered from the press conference yet? <laughs> Just about. My ears are still ringing. I wonder if he kind of um, heard my Ben Davies rant and decided, what an amateur. I'm going to absolutely <laughs> blow anything like that out the water. Um, I'm sure he absolutely didn't hear my Ben Davies rant. Um, it was, it was just mad. Honestly, I've covered a lot of press conferences over the years. I've never been in one like that. I've never seen someone just get so angry and progressively angry and angrier, angrier. And there's so many like little mannerisms and quirks to it when you watch it back. Like he keeps whacking the table with his fingers constantly in front of him. And there's this microphone. I don't know whose it was. He just kept moving it around and playing with it and pulling it. And it's a bit like, I'd be gutted if that was my microphone because it didn't have any branding on it. And all you've probably got is like, and all like weird noises like that on it and where he's whacking it. Um, but yeah, it was... It was very interesting, um, weird to be a part of, especially when you're kind of on the drive back afterwards and you're hearing it replayed and everything on the radio and then you see it on Match of the Day and stuff like that. Um, do you know what? I think 99% of what he said was absolutely probably spot on, to be fair. I think there was a lot of truth in what he said. I do think he missed out... <laughs> quite deliberately himself in pretty much anything in it. But as, um, you know, as uh, examinations, autopsies, dissections, whatever you want to call it, of a football club go, it, it wasn't that far off. Um, although, uh, as we'll talk about, he tried to clarify some things with the club straight afterwards. But, uh, yeah, as a... As a post-match press conference goes, it was worth waiting about an hour for him to uh, show. And uh, just weird that he came out and apologized. Like, it started off with an apology. <laughs> he came out and apologized for being late and then went raw and just unleashed hell. It was, uh, yeah, as a reporter, it was incredible. Yeah, it really, really was incredible. Obviously, we always put the full transcripts out on our website, uh, but this is one of these where you need to watch the video. If you've not seen it, yeah. do watch it. It's is unbelievable, really, uh, yeah. what happened in those 10 minutes. So as you were one of a handful of reporters in there, Ali, do you want to just give us your thoughts, first of all, on everything Conte said? Yeah, I mean, and this is the weird thing. Like you say, it's a handful of people. I think... When you see that video, you probably imagine he's playing to a packed room, like a gallery of people, but he wasn't. I'd say there were probably maybe five or six of us in there, uh, and then a few people at the back operating the cameras as well. It was really was quite a sparse thing. Maybe, although I was going to say maybe it was because he took so long to come out, but I think pretty much as soon as I walked in, because I was in there for Ruben Sellers one as well, and it was a similar um, audience. So I think maybe one or two of the Southampton journalists had gone, perhaps. Um, but yeah, so he walked in and you could tell we'd, we'd already seen the quotes come out from some of his radio and TV interviews. So we knew he was going to say something about the players being selfish. So we knew that was coming. Um, but I don't think we realized that, uh, he was going to get triggered quite as much to kind of launch into far kind of higher, uh, criticism as well. So yeah, so the way it worked out, there were only four questions because, quite frankly, he spoke so long, especially on my uh, first question. My first question was, it was kind of partly the normal one you'd ask, but it was it had obviously a slight twist to it in that I said, because I didn't really want him to focus on the penalty because for me, yes, the penalty was a really, really soft one, 
uh, given right at the end. And I know there would be some gripes about it, but I didn't really want him to focus on that. So I, my question was, yes, that was a really kind of difficult penalty decision to take at the end, but at 3-1 up with 15 minutes to go, you can't be losing that game, can you? Um, and to be fair to him, he took it exactly the way that I was kind of hoping he would. He said, straight off, he said, okay, penalty? No, wasn't a penalty, but we draw the line there. That's it. That's all we say about the penalty. And then, whoosh, and then he went off for about five minutes, four or five minutes, just on this answer about the players and how selfish they were and how they, it's something that he's been hiding for too long that he's wanted to talk about, but he hasn't, which is... I don't know why Antonio Conte, a man who's always very forthright in what he wants to say, has been hiding this deep within for so long. Maybe because of his personal situation, perhaps, because of the things that have happened this season, because of the fact that he's away for a month or so. Um, maybe he felt it wasn't right to come back and you know, kind of unload on these players who've had to kind of work without him, perhaps. But... Uh, yeah, he absolutely went for the players. And it wasn't even like he was singling out players. He kept saying the 11 players. So that's everyone. And look, in that match, if I'm someone like, I don't know, Oliver Skip or uh, Ben Davies or, or people that we know out there are throwing themselves into everything and giving 100%, uh, it's, it's a, whether, whether they know that he's maybe not really talking about them, I don't know. Or do or do they take offence? Um, that is going to be an interesting relationship to see whether that can whether it whether it gets the reaction that maybe he wants or does it further kind of torch that relationship i guess with the players that's what i think we'll we'll find out over the space of these couple of these days ahead really um i'd be intrigued to see the international reporters out there at the various national games whether they can get some of the Spurs players in press conferences to talk about. You'd think maybe Harry Kane, as the England captain, would 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 talk in the days ahead. Um, and I think as captain of Spurs right now, he needs to also talk about that and, and whether it's right. Because I think if you get Harry Kane coming out and saying, absolutely, yeah, the team's, you know, it's not in a good way at the moment. People have, maybe even if he comes out and says that, something along the lines of the selfish stuff, that would be really interesting because any other reaction, it might hasten Conte's exit if it hasn't already happened by then. Because, yeah, you are very much... I do think he's, he's kind of in the hands of the players um, at the moment right now because, yes, they're still fourth and I think that plays a big part in the difficulty maybe of any decision right now because to the outside world especially, it would look ridiculous for a club that's aim is to really be in the top four to sack your manager when you're sitting in the top four, regardless of the games in hand others might have. Um, but if there's a feeling that he's lost a dressing room, then obviously that top four suddenly becomes um, unlikely, a gamble, a risk, whatever you want to say. Um, and that changes things. But uh, yeah, it, it was a mad press conference. I would say he hadn't, I don't want to say lost the plot, because I always felt he was kind of in control despite shouting and getting angry, uh, which sounds ridiculous, but I think... I do think there was an element of it that was pre, uh, like determined, premeditated. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, premeditated. Yeah, premeditated. He, he, I think he'd, especially the fact that we got a similar thing at the start of the press conference to what he'd said in the other TV interviews. It clearly was a message he wanted to get across. But I think <laughs> the moment that absolutely ramped it up to a whole new level was when he was asked, and I think it was an absolutely just question. Uh, and right question was, but do you feel your the uncertainty over your position has led to any of the kind of the players not, I guess, the spirit? Because we never actually heard the end of the question. <laughs> Literally, the, the reporter that asked it, he, he got as far as, um, you know, but don't you think the uncertainty of your position and your future, uh, and as soon as he got to that point, Conte went, Rawr! just like a dragon. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't give them alibis. No alibis. You always do this as in like as the media. You give them excuses and all of this. And it's like, I, I do agree with him that the players often are at fault. Um, and I've said this in the past, whenever other managers have gone, I always feel like it's ridiculous that the players just, bounce back, next manager, oh, it's all right. The manager carries the can for this. And I do agree with that. 
but to dismiss any involvement he might have had and to dismiss the fact about his future. Because look, I, I kind of put this in my, my talking points the other day and some people understandably uh, replied saying, oh, you know, because uh, my, my feeling is, yes, it will play a part. Um, if, you know, if you or I, if our boss, you know, we're working and we and our boss was like, eh, eh, I, come on, lads. But you knew that he had no real, maybe no intention of being there next season. And you knew that maybe his heart wasn't it for the long term. You do just subconsciously, you lose a little bit of that kind of desire to to give everything, to put your body on the line. And I know there's some people out there that say, and I understand it, you know, but you should be playing for the club, play for the badge and all that. And that's kind of what Conte was saying as well. And I get that, but I just feel subconsciously something in you switches off slightly if you feel that the man in charge of you and who is responsible for everything, maybe his heart isn't fully in it. And I do think it plays a part. What do you think? I think, yeah, it, it will play a bit of a part. But at the end of the day, you're a footballer. You're going out to win games. There's Champions League football on the line. It's, it's not guaranteed this season. So you need to do everything in your powers to win games to ensure you're playing in Europe's top competition next season because that's what everyone in the Premier League games to do, be playing in the Champions League. So, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, Nikosa is going to maybe play a, a little bit in the mind, but I think, the players themselves got to do a job first and foremost and go out and win the games. But in terms of what he was saying, I think he was bang on the money with every, everything, what he was saying. And I think it's probably one of these previously, he's not maybe said it as he thinks, well, maybe I'll just protect the players for now. We're still in a good position in the league. We can still achieve our goals. And maybe sadly, he just reached the end of his tether. Winning 3 1 at Southampton with 16 minutes to go, three points in the bag, playing against bottom club, should have seen it out, and they didn't. And it's probably just got to him, and he's just upset, exploded, and you've seen it all in the press conference after. I think it's maybe one of those games where a lot of fans probably. Uh, not impressed with Conte in terms of how they've, lo- they've dropped the points and come away with one when and should have come away with three. But then maybe he might have won quite a few over with his honest assessment. And I know what you're saying about his name, the team. I think he's probably said the team there because you can't really go into naming specific players. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not good at all but I think things needed to be said and sometimes you just need someone to say it how it is why sugarcoat things just basically he say how it to is say it to them. because obviously we, we know that he didn't say anything to the team after the game did he need to say it to them as well maybe but you know just put it out in public <laughs> really <laughs> as well just let everyone know how it is will that give them the players a further kick up the backside now because he said it I don't know we'll have to wait and see what the response is but for me I just thought he's probably just reached the end of his tether he's just seriously had enough with these results because they've not been good enough especially the ones on the road Wolves, Leicester struggling teams Saints as well who are bottom and looking like they're going to go down and they've dropped some massive massive points and they missed a huge opportunity uh, to move into third uh, what I would say, whilst I think he was bang on the money with what he said, he didn't mention himself in it. But then again, as a manager, are you really going to mention your own, you know, uh, failings? Because come the summer, he's more than likely going to be looking at another job and why play yourself down to, you know, potential future employers? Yeah, yeah, I do think... I do think there's an element of self-preservation in it. I think you're you're right. I think there's a, you know, very much uh, a message also to his yeah, like you say, his next employers essentially saying, you know, look at the mess I'm dealing with. Don't you know? You if you give me a decent side, this isn't going to happen. It's just it's just interesting to kind of delve a bit deeper into like it wasn't that long ago last season really he was saying that these were the best group of players he'd ever worked with in terms of their mentality 
So what what's happened in a year? You know, what's what's changed so much? Um, if anything, surely the squad has more closely resembled what he wanted it to. You know, six of those players, I think, who played on Saturday were players that were brought in for him. You know, we can argue till the cows come home over whether they were exactly the players that he wanted. But obviously you could quite clearly say Perisic was a player that he really wanted. And Perisic, other than, you know, a nice first goal for the club, had a bit of another stinker defensively, really, in some of those moments. Um, and Longley, although, yes, we know he wasn't the first choice, it, it would appear that he was a player that Conte did want as well. Um, I do wonder whether, you know, they're really... Well, I think we know that there should have been another centre-back signing as well, personally. But I think just the fact that it's, that was the 40th goal that they've conceded Spurs in the Premier League this season, I'm sorry, that's an absolute disgrace. That's worse than anyone in the top 12. As I put in my talking points, um, Patrick Vieira got sacked this week. Palace have conceded six fewer goals than Spurs in the Premier League. It's just it's unbelievable. And, and you know, any suggestion that the uh, the club didn't need to buy another centre-back in the start? So I'm sorry. It's just it's just not right. It, it's not. Um, but yes, I, I, I do wonder whether... If he had taken a little bit more of a a tone of you know it could be I guess if he if he went down that route then I suppose he's giving an excuse to the players isn't he maybe that goes against what he wants to say um yeah it was a mad one obviously we haven't even touched on the stuff about the club and and the fact that you know he spoke about the club and not winning anything in twenty years and and all of this and the culture of the club I think this was the thing afterwards. From what we understand, he he wanted to to clarify to the board that he wasn't having a pop at them and the club. He was having a pop at the players and saying that the players have been the constant. Because it, it was interesting. When we listened to his quotes, when we first did the transcription of it, um, we had some of it without question marks. And we deliberately kind of listened back just to double check. And there were definitely moments like, I'm not, even, I'm not sure if I've got the... The passage here, otherwise I'd, I'd read the little bit out. But um, yeah, sorry, no, I've got it. It said um, it's easy in this way. Tottenham's uh, story is this: twenty years there is the owner, and they never won something. But why? The fault is only for the club or for the manager that stay here, and that should be a question mark. Whereas when we had it at first, there wasn't. We hadn't. Didn't we just had a full stop? Because that reads very differently if you say the fault is only for the club or for every manager that stay here. But actually, it was a question. It was as if to say, I've seen the managers that Tottenham had on the bench and, you know, you risk to disrupt the figure of the manager and protect the other situation every moment. It means the players. But the problem is, while, yes, he may have been using that as the backdrop and the context to kind of take a shot at the players, he's also massively drawing attention to the fact that the club has won, what, one League Cup in the last 22, 23 years that it is a club that, unfortunately, there is a culture of not particularly, well, not performing when the stress is there. You know, we've seen this was another instance where the team has collapsed and crumbled late in a game. It's happened so many times to Spurs. And, you know, there's this tag that everyone connected with the club hates, the Spurs fans hate. It's the word Spursy. But as, lo as long as they do performances like this and put in that kind of collapse, that word is going to be forever attached to them and, and labelled on them. And this is what he's talking about. When he talks about the culture of the club, really, um, just they're used to it here. They don't play for something important. They don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. Um, and this, when we heard that bit, I think we were all very much like, ooh, like, oh, you know, Spurs are a club that no, we know they don't like being criticised. Those in power that make the decisions do not like being reminded of mistakes and, and failures and things like that. And as soon as a manager does that, it's like, oh, are you on shaky ground? I think we'll find out, you know, in the next couple of days whether him trying to clarify his comments has done enough um, to stop what might have been an early exit. Um, and then, like I said, we've got the players as well. But it was it was an extraordinary 10 minutes. It really was. The amount of stuff that he kind of covered and came out with, um, the way he raised his voice and got angrier and angrier, 
we know he's an emotional guy. And this wasn't like we've had, um, what was it, post Moura and Burnley. We've had press conferences where he's been quite honest. Um, but this was different. This was far more emotion-filled as well as the original message you wanted to say. My only thing would be that after Burnley, he was almost like threatening about his own position. Maybe I'm the problem, and if I am, I'll go. It was almost like a threat to the players of, look, you've got a top-class, world-class, multi-title winning manager here. Do you want me to go as well? Am I, you know, is, is that what you want kind of thing? And, and that got a reaction out of them. But I just wonder whether a year on, whether he still has that sway with them and whether he still, you know, are they that worried anymore if he goes? And, and look, that, that feeds into his whole narrative. Are these players quite happy just to see off another manager? Because um, they may well be. And, you know, I've said this before, but I'm sure we'll get lots of stories coming out, you know, of players hate this, the players aren't happy, probably a toxic atmosphere. There's probably training sessions are difficult, hard, monotonous, boring, repetitive, whatever it is. Every, we see this with every single manager. Um, and he's right. He's absolutely, like you say, he's 100% spot on, I think, when he talks about the players. Um, and there's always this feeling that someone else is to blame. Um, so no, he's right, but I just worry whether they still will it end up kind of seeing him off. Um, and my biggest concern about it all is just just how split everyone is right now. It's such a disenchanted fan base. You've got a fan base that uh, there's like there's Levy outs, there's Conte outs, there's Enoch outs. Obviously, Levy and Enoch out is the same thing. There's players out. There's you know, certain players out. It's like, it's almost like no one is, or not or not many people are looking at it as a whole and saying that there's problems in all of those different departments. It's almost like everyone is taking a very singular viewpoint. And if you have a viewpoint of the other way, you're part of the problem. You're not seeing it kind of thing. Um, there's people that are gathering behind Conte after this because he's seemingly called out the club and the owners, but then obviously kind of retracted that a little bit, um, although I still think he kind of is. Um, but it's interesting because, like, look, I'll ask you this straight straight off. What do you think about the football under Antonio Conte? Uh, it's, it's not been great at all. Uh, not, it's not like it was 12 months ago. You know, they were scoring, what, four goals in away games, five goals at home as well. Uh, well, technically scored three again <laughs> away on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's not the free-flowing football Tottenham fans want, but what I would say is, in terms of Conte's style, you can accept it if you're winning games. Yeah. Well, then if you're losing games, you can't. But then you can also say, well, is any style of football acceptable if you're losing games? No. Everyone might want pretty football, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of teams who play nice football but don't win anything. Tottenham need to win things. So got to weigh it up, really. Surely, if you want to win things, obviously they can't this season because they're out of the FA Cup and Champions League, then you can put up with that brand of football. But I don't think his style's not helping his case. Uh, what was also going to mention was mm. in terms of the players, uh, I think he's right in what he's saying. And, you know, given Conte struggles, Jose as well, the, the common denominator in this is the players. When Tottenham lose games, it always seems to be at the moment talk of obviously Levy, Enoch out, Conte out, not as much as always said about the players. So I think he was I think right. Specific in, players are. Yeah, yeah, specific, but maybe not as a whole. So I think he was right insane uh, what what he did say in his post-match press conference. I think early in the season or previously in his, earlier in his reign, he was talking about a winning mentality and obviously that's going to take time, you know, to establish in this Tottenham team. When you look at the team, how many winners is there in the team? He's used to it at obviously Chelsea, Inter Milan, Juventus where he's won trophy after trophy, but that's not been the case at Tottenham in the past. It's so long since they won a trophy. I mean, when you look at the players, how many have this winning mentality? Benson Kerr at Juventus won trophies. You say Romero as well on the international stage. League 
titles. Well, shall we go just trophies in general, club trophies? Okay. It doesn't help my argument, though, in that way. <laughs> the only cause, <laughs> All I was going to say is, if you're going to talk about league titles, then obviously what's happening down the road yeah. with quite oh, a yeah. young team um, kind of slightly disproves that. Um, and I think it's probably more galling that it's being done with really good football as well, um, which probably isn't helping. But yeah, no, no, I take your point, because obviously they've Arsenal have won FA Cups and, and stuff like that. So they do have that experience of winning. Um, so yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah, as I was saying, I don't think there's a lot of winners in the team who've won, obviously, competitions at various other clubs. And I think that's what probably Conte's struggling with because he is used to winning trophies at other clubs. And I think that's playing a massive part. But that's something what's not just going to change overnight. That's a long process, really. So obviously, question for you then. Can you only then. win things if you've got people that have won things? No, obviously it helps but obviously someone, look at someone must have coached them how to win things in the first place yeah I mean I take your point with Arsenal this season it's a young team but I think what's probably not helping Tottenham is a lot of these players don't have the experience of winning trophies don't have that mentality where it's win at all costs I'm trying to think now who's in the team Perisic Perisic has uh, won trophies. Longley probably at Barca. Porro has just come in. He's won um Portuguese title, didn't he, the previous season or two years before. Um Ooh, it's a tough one. No, no, you're right. You're right. I'm trying to think. It's not a lot. Hoybier. Hoybier Hoy... had experience with uh, Bayern. Uh, Bayern, but he wasn't really a regular in the ago. team. He was no, only he a young lad. Uh, Romero, no at club level, but I think you've got to oh, yeah. put him into yeah, the Romero. equation here yeah, World Cup because thing, World Cup and Copa America in successive yep. years. So I think you've got yep. to. But in terms of the others. Lloris, I suppose, more. similar World Cup. Um yeah, I'm just trying to think now. Am I missing someone? Uh, Kulisevsky won... They won a domestic cup, didn't they? Juventus, I think, when he was there. Um, Benton Kerr, obviously. Yeah. Big miss right now. But yeah, he, he'd be a... He's, he's won multiple titles. Yeah. No, I, I'd definitely take your point. Um, but I just... Yeah. I, it's a really difficult one. And that's why I kind of wanted to talk about the style of play. It's like... I think you. I think you're absolutely right. I think his style of play is not when the system works. When it's got the set pieces in it, um, as in the pieces exactly in the right places that he wants. I do think it's a system that can produce some nice football and and goals. Um, obviously, a lot of the work comes down the wings when it works well and the wing backs. But when it doesn't work, you really see how reliant it is on individuals producing a little bit of moment of magic. Because this is a weird thing. Even at Southampton at the weekend, they scored three goals. And, and yes, that absolutely should have been enough. But it sounds weird to say it. But the goalkeeper wasn't really tested. Those three goals were the only three shots on target. Everything else flew off target, was blocked or, or whatever. Um, and yeah, it, it's really strange. And, and, and I'd absolutely understand if I was one of those attackers to say, well, hello, we did our job. We scored three goals. But it still felt like against a team that was bottom in the form table for home form. Um, absolutely, I think they'd scored 11 goals in the whole season at home, at their own home, kind of in about 13 matches, something like that. Um, I'm sorry, but you should be going there and peppering their goal with shots, absolutely playing on any lack of confidence they might have. Um, I never really felt Spurs did that. It was almost like a bit of a surprise when they suddenly found themselves 3-1 up. It was like, oh, hello, that was a bit quick fire, those two goals. Where'd they come from? Um, and then we had that moment, and Conte kind of referred to it, as, and, and I think we all felt it, at 3-1, it didn't feel in the bag, even from the moment they were celebrating Perisic's goal. We saw Southampton go into a little huddle, um, and the crowd seemed to still get up, the, the St. Mary's crowd, the, the Southampton fans. And one note I have to always say for the away Spurs fans were brilliant. You could hear them throughout. I think we both commented at the start of the game, you could hear them and only them. Uh, bearing in mind they've got the same tune, you know, um, when the Spurs slash Saints go marching in. Um, 
but yeah, I just wonder about the style of play. Uh, and, and at the moment, when it doesn't work, it becomes a very kind of boring, rigid system. And when it does work, it, it, it's, it obviously is a different thing. But yeah, I just worry that the comparisons people make looking up the uh, down the road and seeing what they're doing. Um, and I think when you look back, I'm trying to think, who is the last Premier League winner that won the league without playing some decent football and scoring lots of goals? Maybe Conte's Chelsea. I was about to say, was it Conte's Chelsea? Um, Probably because other than that, it's just been City and Liverpool recently. Yeah. Exactly, and Leicester as well. Leicester scored. Leicester did, scored a fair few goals. Yeah, Le- Leicester um, was before Conte's Chelsea, though. So, probably oh yeah, right. in terms of your question, yeah. then probably yeah. is Conte's Chelsea. So I suppose he could argue. Well, it works because I did it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just, I just, this just worries me. The split in the fan base right now, and how fragmented they are, and you see people turning on each other and. It's very unpleasant. If anything, the toxic side to the club right now is is what's happening kind of outside it. Um, and, you know, like you said, I'm sure there were people, when you talk, spoke about the common denominator and you said the players, I just know that there's people listening to that and going, what? 20 years, the common denominator is Levy and Enoch. And it it's true. <laughs> it, it is kind of true. I agree with you wholeheartedly that I think the players over that period have also not been good enough that they haven't been there for 20 years, you know. There, there's something a little bit more deep-rooted in this club that just isn't being set up to win right now. And that's what I think Conte was really getting at. And uh, I do, I do agree with a lot of what he said. Like I say, 99%. There are a few little iffy things, like um, he quite clearly, and we've all got it in our transcripts, you've got it if you listen to it. Last week, he quite clearly said, I have seen the fire in my players' eyes again. That was put to him on Saturday, and like, so where's that fire gone within the space of a week? And he absolutely launched a. I never said that. I said I wanted to see the fire in their eyes. It's like, no, mate. Honestly, just just go back and listen. Here's some audio, Antonio. Listen to this. Um, yeah, so that's why I give it a ninety nine percent. But just, yeah, he, he didn't mention himself. He didn't mention a lot of the little gripes that we've had and. Players that have never played. I mean, are not Dan Juma. I mean, come on. <laughs> what is he doing there? Absolutely one of the strangest purchases ever. And then even like you look at, um, what's his name? Jed Spence. Jed Spence uh, yesterday apparently put in a wonderful performance against PSG as Ren beat PSG. And you kind of think to yourself, yeah, I know people do down the French League. But if you're going to shut out PSG, there was goal. They didn't score. Was it 2-0? Um, two nil, yeah, yeah, two nil yeah. win away from home. Yeah, so if you're able to shut out as a right back or right wing back um, the PSG attack, I'm sorry, how are you not defensively capable to play any part of a Tottenham? I, I just, it's little things like this. It's little, almost battles he's taken up against the club um, and what they've done. Um, and while, yeah, you could argue quite rightly, why did they not just buy the player he wanted in that position? And maybe they have now with Porro. I don't know who, who I do think is, is starting to prove exactly why they bought him, but I'm sorry that there's so many little bits and things gone wrong in this club right now. Um, it needs someone, whether it's at the very, very, very top or whether it is the manager, it needs someone just to absolutely grab it and just give it a good shake and just say, like, maybe this is what his whole speech did. Maybe this is what it was meant to be. Take a look at yourself. Look at what you've done. What do you want to be? Um, maybe, maybe it'll have the desired effect. I'd imagine in, the, in his words, in the story of Tottenham Hotspur, it probably won't. Um, but maybe whoever comes next has to come in and be very clear with them. If you want me to change things, let me change them um, because they can't continue down this path because, I, I, like I say, the fan base is all over the place and it's not fair on them. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We will discuss what's next for Conte and Tottenham, uh, but as we're halfway through with the show, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, <laughs> as you may well know, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling, which is something that I, uh, not, I, haven't, I haven't had bandwidth throttling issues, but I've been able to um, watch various things anywhere in the world. You know, when I head off abroad, whether it be for work or for personal, um, personal that sounds iffy, but, you know, I'm kind of heading off on, on holidays, I'm able to... Uh, use NordVPN to uh, watch the services and things I've signed up for at home that really I should be able to watch abroad, but for some reason you're not able to. So I can switch my device to being back in the UK and I can do all of that. And obviously it also helps you um, buy things and get things uh, as if you're in those other countries or other countries as well, because that means you know the outlay on a NordVPN subscription ends up being cheaper for you in the long run in that respect. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or booking from other countries at a much cheaper rate. Um, you know, you could, let's say, book flights from other countries and that could be cheaper uh, as well. So you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. Um, there's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right then, let's get into what's next for Antonio Conte and Tottenham. Obviously, following that 3-3 draw against Southampton, we're now in the first international break of 2023. Uh, two weeks' time, Tottenham's next game. Trip to the home of football when they play uh, Everton at Goodison Park. Uh, it's going to be a tough, certainly a tough game uh, for Spurs. Everton doing well at the moment, obviously needing the points to stay up. Maybe similar in terms of the Southampton game, who themselves are scrapping for their lives. Uh, so what does Daniel Levy do then with Antonio Conte? Is it time to change or does he yeah. stick? Is this one of these where <laughs> just... Anything can happen, can't it? I mean, we could we could finish this podcast and by the time it goes out to listeners, something might have happened, like a sudden change in things. It's personally, if I'm Daniel Levy, which I'm not, we look very different. Um, if I was making a decision, I would probably at least have a look at what happens with the Everton game. I would look at the fact that at right now, Spurs are, um, you know, they are in that top four and they are, it, it's not, how do I put it? They've not slipped down the slope yet. Um, and I'd want to maybe see if he has made it very clear to the board that this was a an attempt at geeing up the players and trying to provoke a response. I would probably be thinking, okay, well, let's see if you get that response. And maybe you would give him the Everton game at least to be able to see whether, you know, he does. Um, that's personally what I would probably do um, because otherwise you are feeding into his narrative. You know, he did say right at the end of his um, 10 minutes very much, you can keep chopping and changing the managers all you like, but nothing's going to change. Um, and this would be absolutely feeding into that narrative if they just respond to him saying that, like that by changing the um yeah by changing it all but um it's interesting that spurs have just uh tweeted out uh christian romero's instagram post 
Um, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting way I've done it. They've, they've used it as if it's kind of like a message to the fans. Um, eh, I suppose anything else they're going to put up is going to get shouted down, isn't it? So, um, yeah, interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little moment. But, um, yeah, I think I, that's what I would do. Um, cue him being sacked <laughs> by the time this <laughs> podcast is finished. Um, it all depends, like I said, on whether his job has become untenable and how the play if the players react the other way. Um, but you know, it's very difficult right now in terms of timing because we're at that stage of the season where you're not going to really likely get any manager from another club. You know, what club in their right mind is going to give up a manager in March um, with, you know, still, what, two and a half months left of the season? It would be madness. Um, So that gives you two other options. Um, One is Ryan Mason until the end of the season. That's a big ask for a young coach. Um, Obviously, you know, as a 29-year-old, he guided Spurs to four out of six um, Premier League wins. He, he did a, a decent job, especially for a 29-year-old thrown into that situation. Um, I'd be worried personally about if it didn't go right for him in this tough scenario and situation, are you kind of killing off his managerial career before it even starts? It, it would be very maybe quite difficult to recover from that and, and convince other clubs to give him a go, rightly or wrongly. You know, I still think there's a lot of hope for for Ryan Mason. A lot of uh, he's held in very high regard, and from all the managers as well. You know, Conte rates him highly as well. But I just wonder: is it a little bit too early? You know, under uh, when it was Mourinho, he took over. Was it late April, mid April? Trying to think when it was now. Uh, late April, I think towards the uh, few days before the cup final. That was late April. So yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So that's, you know, you're looking at like about a month then he had to work. And obviously there was a bit less to play for because they probably weren't going to get top four. I don't think there was probably a realistic expectation that was going to happen then. But now there's a, there's a well, I hate to say it and fans hate to hear it, but there's a lot of money involved right now, isn't there? That's another thing with the Champions League. Um, but... It depends whether the, the club feel that the players might respond to him a little bit better and, and how much emphasis they put on what he did while Conte was away as well as Stellini. I don't know. The other option is you look at the free agent managers that are out there right now, and there are obviously some very good choices. There are, there are Luis Enrique, there's Thomas Tuchel, there's uh, Mauricio Pochettino, of course. I know some people keep pushing the claims of Marcello Gallardo, um, which is a difficult one for me. I get it. I get the. I get why people keep pushing him, and he's uh, obviously he's he's got a good reputation. But I just wonder whether he. I mean, why has no one else gone for him yet? Um, that's maybe one of the things I, I'd ask. And also, is that a gamble? Is it a gamble to bring someone straight across from South America and expect them to be able to immediately apply their methods? Uh, to the Premier League, which is obviously such a different league. It's, I don't know. I don't know whether it's one of those fashionable kind of things that maybe people have started to pick up. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't... Uh, it's, it's it's one of those I think you'd probably have to look a lot more into and, and see his style and, and, and interview him and, and see how he'd fit. But I would say the other three, you'd imagine, are, are a bit less of a gamble. Um, and if I'm Spurs right now, I'm probably not looking at taking a gamble. Um, too cool. Too cool. No, no, so Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique, I think he's obviously he's done fantastic things at Barcelona um, and did well at Celta Vigo, I think, before that as well. Would I say he's proven himself outside Spain? Probably not. Um, even with the national team, there's kind of a split view on on how successful he was. Um, so in a way, he would be a gamble, and you would have to absolutely rip up that squad, I think, to build a squad that would fit his style of football. Um, that might not be a bad thing, of course. It'd be expensive, but it might not be a bad thing. Um, Thomas Tuchel brings you that Premier League experience, but do you go down the route again of, yeah, let's hire that guy that Chelsea sacked? It's just like such a kind of repeated, worn path that they've been down. 
Um, and also, you know, would Tuchel want it? There's some kind of discussions over whether he actually would want it and, and whether, you know, Conte saying what he said, does that actually only further kind of increase his thinking that, well, can I actually win anything there? Is it even worth going there? And then there's Poch. Um, Poch, of course, I think as the romantic notion and when we're trying to bring together a fan base, not everyone, I don't think he'd bring together, but I do think you would suddenly get a lot of goodwill and everyone hoping that he could finish that unfinished business he spoke of, you know, especially riding in on his horse in a way. This has very romantic kind of aspect to it. Um, and obviously he's got more experience. He's gone away to PSG, which quite frankly makes Spurs look normal. Um, and he's gone there and he, he won a league title. Of course, you could dispute the difficulty of doing that, but then, hey, he didn't do it in his first season. Um and he's won a couple of cups there as well. So he comes back a more experienced man. Do I think he definitely wants a return right now? I'm not entirely sure about that. I think this is a very different Spurs right now. Fabio Paratici has put in this new structure, which is very cluttered. There's a lot of people in there, Sometimes, some of them treading on each other's toes in various departments. How easy would it be for Poch to create that tight-knit family atmosphere that he had before at Spurs in this very, very kind of different structure? Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Paracici, um in the weeks ahead as well. It's, yeah, it's one of those, I just wonder whether Spurs do try to lurch through to the summer when they have more options. Um, maybe that is is the best way, whether that ends up being with Conte or whether it ends up eventually being with Ryan Mason. Um, I just feel like if you make your decision now, maybe you've, you're not doing the full process and your due diligence. But then, hey, <laughs> they took so long to do their, quote marks, due diligence and ended up with Nuno. With, I'm trying not to be disrespectful to him, but obviously if you're going to do all that work and end up with him, it, something went wrong. Um so yeah, I don't know where, what do you think? Which way should they go? It's a tough one, really. Uh, well, I mean, you could say, well, Conte's on his way out anyway, so why not just get rid now? Uh, but if you're going to do that, would you have done it yesterday? Maybe today? But then again, Pochettino lost the job in the second week of the international break. So yeah. you just, ne- you never know, do you? Right now as well, aren't they? This is the issue. It's, it's like this weird phase, these first few days, oh, there's no players in, there's there's no one's, re- they're all kind of having some time off. So yeah, like you say, it could happen a bit later if it was. Yeah, so maybe you do give uh, Conte the Everton game, but what I would say is if Spurs are going to, you know, performers have done in the previous games on the road, then, they won't be leaving Goodison with three points. I'll tell you that now. Uh, no, you're so, battling right now, aren't they? They've probably got their tails up. Playing well. So, yeah, tough one. But if you're looking at it in terms of the top four race, Spurs are still in a good position. Yeah. I know other teams have games in hand, but uh, Manchester United, if they go all the way in the FA Cup in, in the Europa League as well, I think they're going to have 19 games left. Between now and the end of the season, Spurs have 10. Obviously, Liverpool have been inconsistent this season. Newcastle was struggling to win up until the past couple. So, top four is very much still there. So, you're thinking, well, given Conte's experience, is he the best man for the job? I think it'd be a big ask of Ryan Mason until the end of the season. And things could potentially, uh, you know, go south as well. If he was in the job and agree with what you were saying, would that be good for him in terms of his, you know, job going forward? Uh, I think as we're now approaching April, you kind of, if Conte was to go, you'd think it'd have to be a short term fix unless you could convince Tuchel or Pochettino to come in now. I'm not entirely sure that they're all united in wanting Pochettino yeah. at the club as well right now. That's the other issue. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. And obviously, so ma- yeah, go on, sorry. So maybe a case of just sticking with Conte for now and then, you know, if things get even worse, then then make your change if you have to. Uh, it's a tough one. We'll have to wait and see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But I think if results get even worse, then they may have no option. But, you know, to part with Conte early. 
Especially I mean, if top four's at risk. Yeah, I think that's key. I think that's yeah. the main thing. I think as soon as that, that starts to go south, they might think, oh, all right, we need to change the mood. We need to do something that might kind of shake them back into life. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you get to the summer, I guess you can, if you if they do want to start with a new project manager, if like like a Deserby, someone like that, you know, or um, like even or Ruben Amarin, obviously who's doing very well in, in Europe this season, whether they want to, yeah, then start fresh in the summer with a brand new kind of voice, a new way of looking at things. I don't know. It's uh, <sighs> the problem is, is there's so many differing decisions made over the years with no real set uh, plan, no logical joined up way of thinking. It's near impossible to kind of say what comes next in that regard because you know Paratici at the moment will have some say if he sticks around ultimately Daniel Levy will always be the one that makes a decision because that's what he does um but I mean how many times have we said he's got to get this decision right <laughs> it's mad it, it's absolutely mad the amount of times we've had to say that um but Spurs at a time when everyone else is strengthening, when their North London rivals, you know, could quite feasibly win the Premier League this season, what are they eight points clear now? Um, it's and you've got Newcastle going to be a financial powerhouse, and Spurs can't afford to get left behind. That this is why I, this is why I think this this choice just almost time wise is probably the most crucial one they've had in a while because. If they get it wrong and they get sucked down into kind of mediocrity again, I don't know whether they're going to be able to get back for a long, long time. You know, I know Levy is very much seems to be pinning his hopes on these changes in the financial rules and the financial fair play and all that. But you've still got to be, you know, there's, there's still a couple of years for all the other clubs, those big clubs with big money to put themselves in the best possible position when that comes into play. Um, and if Spurs don't do that, I do fear what happens next. And uh, yeah, all eyes are on what Daniel Levy does, quite frankly. Yeah, I think any appointment's a gamble. It could go one way or another. Twelve months ago, everyone was thinking, "Yeah, Conte, what an appointment!" Just managed to get us into the top four, and then things have obviously turned a bit sour uh, this season. I think if it was Poch, maybe. Would it suit Poch? Because there needs to be a bit of a rebuild this summer. Very similar to, you know, when he first came in back in 2014. He can stamp his own mark on the team, you know, form it how he wants. Uh, yeah, it's a huge, huge decision coming Daniel Levy's uh, way this summer. And certainly uh, need to get it right, but there's no guarantees in football. So that's one we'll just have to wait and see on. What happens? The right. Fans just need to see a plan. They just yeah. need to see what this is it. I think if they were having a tough time this season, but they could see what was happening beyond it. And I think this is the problem with Conte, is that pretty much everyone believes he'll be gone by the summer either way. Uh, it's very difficult to see him continuing past the summer. And in that regard, it, like you say, it just becomes so Yeah, I, th I think there'd be more of a an understanding when things aren't going well. But then, hey, with Pochettino, everything took a big dip, didn't it? And there was no understanding or view that what could be seen past it. it Maybe that's Spurs' biggest problem. They're just forward-thinking off the pitch, but not forward-thinking on it. Um, and everything is all about short-termism, and they never seem to really put anything into place. Um, time to change, I think. Time to change. Yeah. Well, if there is going to be a plan, what I would say is, well, stick with it then. Even if you have to go through yeah. a, ba a bad spell, fine. Look at Arsenal uh, across the capital. There was probably a time when they could have got rid of Arteta, maybe last season, the Absolutely season before, was, when yeah. the results weren't great at all, but they kept faith with him, made the changes he wanted, and look, they're reaping the rewards now, potentially going to win the Premier League. So, yeah, I think if, you, if you're having a long-term plan, then stick with it. Don't veer off in other directions. If you think that plan is right, stick with it. Well, speaking right. of Ed, what, 12 managers in 20 years? I mean, yeah. that's almost it's almost one every other season, isn't it? <laughs> um, and, I mean, where have, 
A lot of Arsenal had in that time. Probably what four? Uh, Emery. And then I think it was just Arteta. Probably straight after Unai Emery. Yeah, Wenger before him. It's a three. Yeah. Uh, that's. I mean, that says if if anything says it all that Spurs had twelve managers in twenty years and Arsenal had three. <laughs> that just shows that there's just the the inability to kind of stick with things and to to back people it's yeah it's not a good look it really isn't right let's discuss some of the Southampton game anyway because even though it was a free free draw and Spurs did throw it away I think it's fair to say there were a couple of positives you can take from that game uh, certainly Pedro Porro um, managing to get his first goal for the club got his first assist. The weekend before against Nottingham Forest and it was a terrific finish from Porro who was played in by a really, really good free ball from Son Hyung Min. Prior to yeah, that, great. Porro had got himself into some really good positions, uh, shooting positions as well, just got, got them wrong, his efforts with his left foot. But when he was on his strongest foot, uh, third time lucky, he was just making no mistake with that. I think... Porro was certainly one of the standout performers for Tottenham at St Mary's on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, he, he did well. Um, I don't think his left foot is his friend. Um, he, he did wildly slice a couple wide. And I think, I think I'm sure we've seen him have a left foot shot as well before that had gone off one of the other matches. Um, but his finish was delightful. It was fantastic. It was an absolute rocket of a finish. Um, Sonny's 50th Premier League assist. Really nice ball through. Uh, kind of split the defence. Yeah, I thought I thought Porro did well. Um, always busy, always looking to um, try and do something down the right. He's a very different alternative to Emerson. Um, you can see how you can use both of them in differing ways for differing opponents. Um, yeah, no, I thought he, I thought he, he did well. Um, obviously, that was his first goal. Perisic got his first goal, but like I say, defensively, him and Longley, especially for that, uh, was it? A, Second goal, yeah. no, first goal, wasn't it? Was it second goal? Which was the one they were, I thought it was first goal actually. They were completely first. out of position, yeah, yeah. First was yeah, uh, Jay Adams behind them, yeah. yeah. And that was that was woeful from, from him. Uh, who else positives? I thought Kudusevsky, bearing in mind he was kind of thrown on after four minutes without any real kind of warm up, I felt he contributed quite a lot. Obviously, the assist for Kane, he put it across the dire headed wide couple of other little moments as well he had um obviously harry kane scoring again it was one of those he- headers that i didn't get a proper chance to look at it until i got home and it's such a lovely guided header into the uh roof of the net and that for him is 21 goals in 27 premier league matches that's ridiculous if Erling harland didn't exist you know so many more people would be talking about kane's season and you know bearing in mind the kind of inconsistent team he's playing within and you know, not always creating a lot of chances for him either. That's that's just incredible for me. Um, I thought Skippy Skippy got a bit tired towards the end. Maybe was misplacing some passes, but I felt over the bulk of the game played well. Um, lots of tackles, interceptions, clearances, blocking shots, few key passes as well. He did well. Um, Forster made a more, couple of more good saves. Uh, I was trying to think if he could have done anything about the goals. Ugh, difficult one. Two of them were quite close range. Um, the penalty, obviously, almost got a hand to uh, against his best mate as well, isn't it? Ward Prowse. Um, I saw the Ward Prowse quotes where he was saying that they kind of used to play football in their gardens with their, their neighbours, uh, with their kids. So he would take penalties <laughs> against him in the garden and stuff. Um, yeah, but other than that, he made one really good save from distance. It was one one-on-one save, actually. It was quite important. You know, technically, Spurs could have lost that game. I know it kind of feels like they did um, lose that game, but that forced is okay, and that's kind of, think, why he's got his England recall as well. But just one of those days where I think the negatives outweighed the positives uh, far far more. And, and obviously, we've got the injuries to Richarlison and Ben Davies, which kind of got lost slightly in everything that happened in the aftermath and uh, we need to find a, a bit more about them as well. Yeah, Davis is out of the Wales squad as well. I think that's just been confirmed. Right. Uh, so Richarlison out of the Brazil squad as well. Richarlison? So, yeah. Looked like, people saying we weren't up there, but it sounds like he did it in the warm-up. 
And if so, that's twice now, isn't it? The the World Cup injury was he did it in the warm up first as well. Why is someone not stopping him going on that pitch? I mean, guess he could just be saying, "No, I'm absolutely fine. I don't know," but that's not a good look. No, especially two minutes into the game as well. So all we'd seen is really him just having his shirt over his head and just walking towards the bench with Harry Kane consoling him, Son Heung Min as well. But it just does look a bit of a joke, doesn't it, when you're coming off after two minutes, literally seconds after kickoff. So, yeah, I think one negative what I'd have to pick up on from the game is just it's the times when Tottenham are conceding as well. Two minutes after the restart, that's like a time you just need to settle into the game, just try and keep it under control. And then the team's always at the most vulnerable once they've scored themselves. And three minutes later, you know, after Perisic had scored, you're just giving Saints a huge, huge lift. And they did have chances. Foster had to come out at his near post and save one. And I mean, yeah. at, at that time anyway, Saints had nothing to lose, especially given the position they're in. They've got to just, you know, uh, go all out for it. And they did. They had some chances, got into some good positions. Uh, I mean, second one wasn't a good one to concede either. I think Dyer left Walcott free. But I think watching it back, I think Dyer's expecting the lad who headed it to head it towards the back post and drop in. I think that's why he's probably just naturally move there because there's a massive gap. And then obviously it's just got the header on it and it's just fallen to Walcott who's free and just put it in the back of the net. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. I, it doesn't look good that moment when he suddenly peels away from him because um, you already had Kane on the line anyway. Kane had already kind of drifted into that area. So, yeah, defending was just horrendous, to be honest. Um, and, you know, also mustn't forget that Southampton is, as well, they lost two centre-backs in the yeah. first half and yet still, you know, won the game. Um, and this is what Conte was kind of alluding, or not alluding to, very clearly saying that, you know, against Sheffield United, they had an absolutely... Um, uh, what do you call it? Kind of decimated squad with, with like, in his words, youngsters playing, and yet Spurs still couldn't raise themselves to find a way through. Um, yeah, it's it was just such a poor game. The first half was so messy and fragmented because of the injuries, but second half, Spurs never really looked in control despite having that scoreline in their favour, um, and. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it, it was it made. I think had we gone away from that match, trying to dissect purely the match, it would have been quite uh, mind-numbing because it would have just been the same old. There were so many kind of repetitive things that we've seen take place um, in games across this season, but also previous seasons. So in a way, Conte saved us <laughs> with his press conference because. He changed everything. He changed the whole dynamic. And that's going to have to be maybe what he hopes is that he changes the dynamic within Spurs. But I don't know. I don't know about that club and whether and how quickly you can change the dynamic. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was just totally avoidable, really. Obviously, what happened on the South Coast. The third one, very contentious penalty. I think at the time, is the bounce of the ball. What does uh so it bounces up really, really high and then when you're needing to put your boot up that high, there's always a chance of someone nipping in and if there's, you know, minimal contact nowadays, people go down because they know VAR will have a look at it and I think it looks like he catches him, the side of uh, his leg, very, very minimal. Yeah. Uh, but I do wonder, if that's elsewhere on the pitch, does... Um... Maitland-Niles flying in from behind with a foot in the air, catching, you could argue it kind of catches, they catch each other elsewhere on the pitch. Is that a high boot? You know, is he is he jumping in there? It's like, I just found it such a difficult kind of decision to make in that moment and call it a penalty. I just felt the, the contact was so marginal and almost like he's flinging himself in the way it's such a weird one. I did feel for Saar. Um, but yeah, 
Yeah, and then VAR made the decision that it wasn't enough of a clear and obvious error to to recommend having another look at it. But yeah, I yeah. did feel. I mean, you can say what you universal want. condemnation. I don't think I've seen many pundits or anyone say actually they felt it was a penalty. I do, uh, unless I've missed someone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can say what you want, whether it's a penalty or not. At the end of the day, Tottenham should have got job done, regardless oh, if that was a penalty or yeah. not. Yeah. So, yeah, just another one of those days on the road, unfortunately. Uh, not faring well away from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the moment. And then, obviously, Everton up next. So, another really, really tough game uh, for Tottenham. Right. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham as ever. Thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. Completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.